Uh, Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 30. Um, I'm going to do something this morning. I'm actually going to do two things, I think, that I've never, ever done before. Um, And it may be, uh, it may seem a bit ambitious at first. Uh, The one thing I'm going to do that I've never done before is we're actually going to preach two chapters today. Actually, more than two chapters. Uh, So get comfortable. No, I'm just kidding. Um, It's actually going to be more than two. We're actually going to do two chapters plus. Um, So the the other thing I'm going to do this morning that I don't think I've ever done is our scripture reading is not going to be from any of those chapters. But if you'll bear with me, I think uh, it'll all make sense in the end. I think you'll see why. So keep a finger in Genesis 30, but what I want you to do uh, is actually back up to Genesis 28. Um, so I could, if you like, you know, it is our practice to stand when we read God's Word. I could have you stand for the entire two plus chapters if you'd rather me actually read what we're going to preach. I'll spare you. Um, Genesis chapter 28, we're going to read uh, a couple of verses. So let me ask that you stand if you're able uh, for the reading of God's Word. Uh, yes, we were in Genesis 28 a few weeks ago. Uh, Yes, we've been here already. Um, Genesis 28, uh, I'll start in verse 10 just so you can have the context. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. And it's these two verses in particular. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Uh, We pray, O Holy Spirit, uh, that you would inhabit these your words, that you would work them into our hearts and lives, that you would deepen our knowledge of and trust in and love for our Redeemer. For it's in His name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So to to give you the tip, to, to, to give away why we read, you might say, the wrong verses... Uh, My premise is this, my assumption is this, that those two verses, verses 14 and 15 of Genesis 28, actually provide an outline for Genesis 29, starting in verse 31, all the way to the end of chapter 31. Uh, You and I would do well uh, to learn to take the the long view of what God is doing in our lives. Uh, we We are 21st century Americans. We're pre-programmed to demand everything now. You know, you don't even have to go shopping anymore. You can get online and order your groceries at Walmart and pull up and let them bring them to your car. 
See how easy life is getting? See how simple everything is becoming for us? We want even our own sanctification, our own spiritual maturity, our own spiritual growth. We want that to be as easy as ordering from Amazon and and as fast as done by the time, you know, as fast as your morning oatmeal. But what if God takes a longer view than that? What if God doesn't work in an instant? What if God doesn't work in a moment? What if God's view of our spiritual growth is longer than certainly 20 minutes uh, and, and longer than even years? What if instead of using years, we should use decades? What if we took that kind of view? What if we hopped on a plane and flew up to, to 35,000 feet and sort of, now what can we see? I think that's what, that's Jacob's condition. That's where Jacob is in Genesis 30 and 31. And we find in these chapters that God sovereignly blessed Jacob with people. That was the promise. That was, that was part of the promise that God made to Abraham. I will make, I will, you're going to have offspring, you're going to have descendants like the stars in the sky. And now here we are two generations later only tracking one grandson. Now, I don't know about you, where I live, I can see more than one star in the sky at night. My guess is, even if you live on the square in Athens, you can see at least one star, maybe more, in the sky at night. Here, Abraham was promised offspring like the stars in the sky, and here we are talking about his grandson and only one of them. That doesn't sound like, that doesn't sound to me like God is fulfilling his promises. And for that matter, in Genesis 28, in the passage we just read a minute ago, Jacob is single and childless. And he's going back to his mother's people, his mother's family. He's going back to, he's going to Uncle Laban's house, Uncle Laban's land in hopes of finding a wife. Halfway through chapter 30, 14 years later, Jacob has two wives, and two kind of wives, and a dozen children. You're seeing the, the gradual fulfillment of God's promises in Jacob's life. Look back at chapter 29, verse 31. You want to keep your Bible open. I should have said it sooner if you've already closed it. Um, well, can I say shame on you in the middle of a sermon? Uh, you're going to need it. You're going to need to, to, to look and see and, and trace uh, this through Scripture. Notice verse 31 of chapter 29. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, He opened her womb. You remember, she was the unloved wife. She was the one that Jacob didn't want. Jacob worked seven years for Rachel's hand in marriage. And the wedding day comes. It gets late at night. There's a feast. There's a celebration. There's a whole party. And, and you know, they didn't have, you, you didn't walk into your room and turn on your light. It was, it was dark. Um, the next morning, the sun comes up and Jacob realizes 
He's laying next not to Rachel, but to Leah. He was tricked. Laban, and, and for that matter Leah, had conspired against him to because you don't marry the younger daughter before you marry the older. That was the, the explanation. That was the context. Leah is the, well, hated wife. She's the one that Jacob doesn't love. He prefers Rachel. He married her um, the following week and then worked another seven years for her hand in marriage. And yet, in these four verses, Leah has four sons with apparent ease. I mean, she's, she's literally, every verse is a new son born. And notice, notice she thought that having a son would elevate her status. Notice verse 32. Leah conceived and bore a son. She called his name Reuben. For she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. I've had a son. Now he's going to love me. Well, verses 15 and 16 in chapter 30, I'm not sure that it worked. What she hoped would come true, I'm not sure actually happened to her. Apparently Jacob's feelings didn't really change. Leah, without any... It seems without any effort, she's conceiving and bearing a son. Verses 32, 33, 34, and 35, all, every single one of them, a new son. There's no, there's, you don't get the sense. We know enough biology to know that time lapsed, but it's written in such a rapid fire succession that you get the sense that it was really super fast. Rachel. Rachel, the favored wife, becomes the jealous wife. In chapter 30, here here Leah is is spitting out babies left and right with with ease, and she gets jealous, and she wants a child of her own. She wants her own son. So she has a solution. She offers her husband, her servant, Bilhah, do we, do we really need to go down this road again? We've done this once, right? We've done this before with his, his grandmother, Sarah, who, who offered Abraham Hagar her servant. Well, I mean, I, Abraham, clearly the promise isn't coming through me. I'm not able to have children. So why don't you, here, here's Hagar. Take my servant. Why don't you try this? Let's see if this works. Rachel gives to Jacob, Bilhah, her servant, She has two sons. Ancient Near East practice was that, that those sons, because she was Rachel's servant, those sons, those children belonged to Rachel. You notice Rachel is the one that names them. And later, when Zilpah has children, Leah uh, names them as well. Do we, do we need to have the... The polygamy application. There's, there's an application here, right? Polygamy has always been contrary to God's Word. Go back to the very institution of marriage itself. Even before the fall, the nouns and pronouns are always singular. 
A man, a man will leave his father and mother and be cling to his and cling to his wife. They're singular. The aim for marriage is to be one spouse. It's hard enough being a good husband to one. I can't imagine trying to be a half decent husband to two or in Jacob's case now four. And don't let the fact that God allowed polygamy to continue, don't, don't let that mean that He's condoning it, that He's actually expecting it, and that it's according to His plan. Because if you're going to follow that logic, then you have to say that God caused Adam and Eve to sin. And then God is the author of sin. Yes, He allowed it. He allowed Adam and Eve to take the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but that doesn't make it consistent with His his design for mankind. Notice chapter 30, verse 8. I need you to do math. I know some of you don't want to do math. I know some of you don't like math. I know some of you are not very good at math. You can handle this math. This is simple math. I need you to do math for just a second. Okay? So work with me. I promise it won't be difficult. Leah has had four sons. Notice verse 8 of chapter 30. Rachel says, With mighty wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. Now, trace this with me. At the end of chapter 29, Leah has four sons. As of verse 8, Rachel hasn't actually given birth to any. Her servant has had two sons, and now Rachel claims victory. She pulls a UCF, right? This is Central Florida. Well, we're the only team in the country that's undefeated, so we're going to make our own trophy and claim a national championship. That's exactly what they're doing. Of course, plenty of other teams have done that in the past too, but we'll laugh at UCF this year. How is, here's the math. How is two bigger than four? Okay, so if you, if you put a four on a piece of paper and a two next to it, which way does the alligator mouth go? Right? Two is smaller than four. I, I can't figure out for the life of me how Rachel thinks she's one. Like, how does she get to the point where she says... I've wrestled with my sister and I've prevailed. Rachel, your servant has had two sons. Leah has four. I don't see the connection. I don't see how she thinks she's one. Then Leah doesn't want to lose. She doesn't want to be outdone. She says two can play at this game. I've got a servant too. Jacob, here you go. Here's Zilpah. And then she has children. Until finally, Rachel has a son of her own. Leah names the sons that Zilpah has. That was the practice. They, they are, in essence, Leah's sons, even though they come from uh, her servant. And notice the name she uses, by the way. Look back at the end of chapter 29. Look at the way she names her children. In three of the four of her firstborn sons, she invokes the name of God. 
Notice, look at this, verse 32. Because Yahweh, the Lord, has seen my affliction. Or verse 33. Because the Lord has heard that I am hated. Or verse 35. Now I will praise the Lord. I will praise Yahweh. Who's in charge of couples having children? Okay, we, we know that from time to time there are biological reasons that the man can't or the woman can't. We, we know that happens. We know that that works out. Leah understands that God is in control of all of that. Leah ascribes her birth giving to God's sovereign power in her life. Leah understands that God is at work in couples having children. What does Rachel think? Look at verse 1 of chapter 30. She comes running into Jacob. You almost get the sense she comes, she comes running into his bawling and angry. Right? Okay, I may be putting more into the text than is there. Humor me on that one for a second. Let me, let me, let me say, I'm, I know that's not exactly written there, but you get the sense. She comes running in, bawling, and she's angry. Give me children, or I will die. And notice Jacob's response. Um, Rachel? Honey? I'm not God. I can't control that. I'm not in charge of that. You see in verse 2, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Jacob recognizes God's sovereign power in, giving birth, in conceiving and giving birth to children. Then we have this crazy incident in verses 14 to 17. You know, there's some... There's some passages that are hard to preach and there's some situations that are hard to preach because your children are in the room. Uh, this is one of those second ones. Um, Reuben, Leah's firstborn son, has been out in the field and he finds mandrakes. Mandrakes were thought to be um, to induce fertility. Uh, they were um, even called love apple uh, in some settings in some places. And he brings mandrakes to his mom, Leah. And Rachel again whines, where are my mandrakes? How come I don't have any mandrakes? I want some mandrakes. It's, um, g- give me some of those. You see in verse 15, <clears throat> or end of verse 14, the conversation between them is so much like the conversation between Jacob and Esau. When Esau sold Jacob his birthright. The conversation is so... Please give me some, some of your son's mandrakes. Verse 15, Leah says, Is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? You've got my husband's heart. Now you're going to take my fruit too? Really? I mean, is that how it's going to be? It's, it's so much like that, that conversation between Jacob and Esau back in chapter 25. 
And so Leah gave Rachel the mandrakes. In exchange for, Leah, Rachel said, well, here's the deal. If you'll give me the mandrakes, you get Jacob tonight. You get our husband tonight. And then the unexpected happened in verse 19. At least it's unexpected to Rachel. It's not what Rachel would have thought, right? If mandrakes are supposed to induce fertility, she has the mandrakes. uh, Leah has Jacob for the night. And she conceives and bore Jacob son number six. Back in verse 9, she had ceased bearing children. So she goes through a a phase, a time of being barren. And here, without the help of the mandrakes, conceives and bears another son to Jacob. In fact, she would have another son and, and a daughter. And then finally, verse 22, Rachel finally gives birth to Joseph. And notice why Rachel conceives finally in verse 22. Moses tells you. Moses, the writer of Genesis, he tells you exactly why she conceives. It's because God remembered. God remembered Rachel. And she conceived. Now, God doesn't forget. Please don't go thinking that when you read God remembered in the Bible that it means somehow, oh, I forgot. You know, we go to the grocery store all the time and, and we forget to put something on the list or, and so we don't get it. Or, or we forget, but we knew we needed it and we should have known better or we forget to even put it on the list or we forget to take the list or we forget things all the time. If you, if you didn't have the little beeper on your phone popping up saying your calendar notification, if you didn't have that popping up, you'd miss meetings, you'd miss things. We forget things. All. Don't think God remembered means somehow God went, Rachel, I forgot all about Rachel. Doggone it. All this time, I mean, Leah and Zilpah and Bill, I've been having kids. I, Rachel, oh, so sorry, Rachel. Every time God remembers, He's getting ready to do something. God remembers Rachel. And God listened to her. And He opened her womb. He gave her a child. Do you remember the promise from from Genesis 28? God said, I'm going to give you offspring like the sand on the shore, like the dust of the earth. 20 years later, there are 13, 12, son, 12 children, 11 sons and a daughter. God sovereignly blessed Jacob with people. God promised him people and now he's providing people. He also promised that he would bless Jacob and through Jacob all the nations of the earth would be blessed Notice second of all, God sovereignly blessed Jacob with people. He also sovereignly blesses Jacob with possessions. After Joseph is born, Jacob wants to leave. He served Laban 14 years for his two wives. wives. He wants to to take what has been given to him and what has been promised to him 
and he wants to go back home to his homeland. Laban, in response, notice verse 25, as soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my home and to my country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go. Verse 27, Laban said to him, if I have found favor in your sight, if I have I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages. Laban wants another business deal. He wants to enter into another business relationship with Jacob. And so Jacob made Laban an offer he couldn't refuse. I'll take all the wrong colored sheep and goats. Goats are normally dark, black or brown. And if they have white on them, Jacob says, I'll take the ones that have any white on them. Sheep are normally white. He says, I'll take the ones that are black. I'll take the wrong colored animals as payment. The ones out there now and the ones in the future. Now, in Laban's mind, this is, this is a phenomenal deal. This is, this is a whole lot better than the 10 to 20% of the flock that a shepherd might normally demand. Surely, surely, the, the multicolored goats, the black sheep, they, there aren't as many of those as 10 to 20%. This is a better rate in Laban's mind. This is a deal he can't refuse. Laban, as you would expect, then takes the, the ones that are the black sheep and the multicolored goats and takes them away out of, the, out of the flock before Jacob can get out there and moves them to a new place. Laban thinks, if I take away the striped, spotted, marbled, multicolored goats and the black sheep, then all the white ones, the white sheep, they'll have white lambs. And all the black, dark goats will have black, dark baby kids. And, and, and you know, he thinks he's ensuring his own... He's being Laban, right? He's already snookered Jacob at least once and we find out later it's been as many as ten times he's changed Jacob's wages he out Jacob's Jacob he out cheats and swindles Jacob Jacob's been known as a, a cheat and a swindler and a, and a self-serving kind of a guy and he's losing to Laban so Laban took precautions to make sure that um that Jacob wouldn't get a whole lot of these black sheep and multicolored uh, goats. But Jacob's up to the challenge. In verse 37 of chapter 30, Jacob takes fresh sticks and of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. And then he set the sticks that he had, had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs. That is the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks. So the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. The old wives' tale was that a vivid sight during mating would mark the offspring permanently. Okay, don't laugh. You have your own birth and pregnancy and um, conception folklore uh, to deal with. It appears, however, we find in verse 10 of chapter 31, it appears that this was actually commanded by God to Jacob. 
Because in, in chapter 31, verse 10, uh, this, is, this is Jacob recounting to Rachel and Leah uh, what he's been doing and hearing. Verse 10, In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. It appears that God has told him, do this. This will be the means by which you get all the wrong colored animals. Even, even Laban had to admit, I know that I've been blessed, that God has blessed me because of you. Jacob also uses a little um, Darwin's survival of the fittest. When the stronger, verse 41 of chapter 30, when the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would take them away. So he's, he's taking the stronger and turning them into the wrong colored animals. Laban is... Deceiving Jacob, trying to. And yet, Jacob is outsmarting his uncle. And there's only one explanation for Jacob's prosperity. Laban has been been changing his uh, wages, has, has changed his promise, has gone back on his word numerous times, as many as ten times we're told in chapter 31. There's only one explanation for Jacob's prosperity through all of this. And we're told in verse 9 of chapter 31. God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. Jacob recognizes I have what I have because God has been at work in granting it to me. God sovereignly blessed Jacob with people. God sovereignly blessed Jacob with possessions. And notice... Ultimately, God sovereignly blesses Jacob with his divine presence and protection. This was promised back in chapter 28, verse 15. As chapter 31 begins, Jacob is more restless, more uncomfortable. He knows that Laban no longer favors him, we're told in verse 2 of chapter 31. And so God instructed Jacob to go back home. You remember the promise. This land I will give you. I will give to you and to your offspring, to your children after you. And now he's saying, Jacob, it's time to go back to that land. It's got time to go back and and inherit that which I have promised to you. So while Laban was out shearing sheep, which would take um, several days, Jacob gathers his his family together, verses 4 through 13, and, and explains to them, here's the history, here's what you may not know, and here's why we need to leave. And his wives agreed. Can you imagine? Leah and Rachel, throughout all of this, have been pawns in their dad's schemes. He promises Rachel and gives Leah. Through all of this, his own daughters, even they recognize 
we don't have a home here any longer. What do we have left that, that we would want to stay with our dead? Yes, Jacob, let's go. This is good and right. There's no reason for us to stay here anymore. They are as bitter as Jacob is, surely. And so Jacob and his wives and his children are all headed back to Canaan. They're all headed back to the land that God had promised to Jacob and to his offspring. And as soon as Laban found out, uh, he took off after him, verses 22 and 23 of chapter 31. But notice chapter 31, verse 24. Laban comes home. He finds that Jacob and and his daughters and his grandchildren are all gone. And, and the possessions that, that, that um, Jacob had ended up with, they're all gone. They've all left. You can imagine he's angry. He's intent on getting Jacob back. And then you have this in verse 24. God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. God gives Jacob protection. Even before Laban gets to him, he sets up boundaries around Jacob and says, Laban, go no further than this, or farther, whichever one is the right word. My kids will tell me later. We know that Laban has been against Jacob all of this time. We know that Laban has been out for himself. We know that the two of them have, have that Laban has been serving his own self-interest throughout this whole ordeal, throughout the last several chapters. We know that Laban is out for only himself. Jacob has worked now 20 years, which is way too long for the amount that he was paid for Rachel, for Leah, for the flocks. Something that should have taken maybe half that time. Laban has lied to Jacob. He's cheated Jacob on numerous occasions. Notice the way Moses changes his language in this chapter so that we recognize the distinction between Laban and Jacob even more if we're paying attention. Notice verse 20. Jacob tricked Laban. And then there's this phrase that we haven't seen. The Aramean. We see it again in verse 24. God came to Laban, the Aramean. Do you see what, do you see what the Bible's doing? It's reminding us all over again that Laban is a foreigner. Laban is an outsider. Laban is not a worshiper of the one true God of the Bible. He doesn't serve Yahweh. He's a, he's a foreigner with, with foreign gods, with, with multiple gods for that matter. He's polytheistic. He comes from a completely different religious background and culture than, than Jacob. Remember, Abraham was called out of that, out of the polytheism of, of Ur of the Chaldeans and, and serves the one true God of the Bible. Jacob and Laban don't think alike. Laban, of course, thinks, ah, they're all the same God. What does it really matter? 
okay, you have your God, I have my God. I mean, they all end up in the same place, right? I mean, that's, that's what the world around us is. It, it doesn't really matter. The, the destination's the same. You may have a different religion. You may serve a different God. You may serve different gods, plural. I mean, he had, a, he had a, an idol. He had a little wooden carved image in his house that Rachel stole. They all lead to the same place, right? Laban's thinking that, or, or he's thinking that actually all the gods are true. Not just that, that the destination's the same and the gods are just a, a means of getting there, but he may actually be so polytheistic that he thinks, sure, they all exist. That's no big deal. That's, that's totally fine with him. Because notice, they enter into this covenant agreement at the end of chapter 31 verse 43 Laban answered and said to Jacob the daughters are my daughters the children are my children the flocks are my flocks and all that you see is mine but what can I do uh, this day for these my daughters or for their children whom they have born come now let us make a covenant you and I and let it be a witness between you and me and notice the way they do this Jacob takes a stone and sets it up as a pillar And Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap. And they ate there by the heap. Laban called it, I'm not even going to try. Jacob called it Galid. Laban said, "Uh, this heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore, uh, he named it Galid and Mizpah. For he said, the Lord watch between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters or if you take wives besides my daughters... And then then there's this heap, verse 51. Then Laban said to Jacob, See this heap and the pillar which I have set between you and me? This heap is a witness. The pillar is a witness. That I will not pass over this heap to you and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, the God of their father judge between us. Which one is it? Because the God of Abraham and the God of Nahor aren't the same. Abraham was called out of that polytheistic culture. This isn't, a, this isn't the same thing as saying the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, which is Yahweh, the one true God. This is your God and your father's God, Jacob, and my father's God and their father's God. This is completely different. There's multiple rocks, multiple names, Multiple gods. And there's this this promise. This Mizpah agreement. Maybe you've heard of it. There have been some evidently who have etched it even in like wedding bands. The Lord watch between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. This is not a covenant of protection and agreement and unity. It's a covenant of distrust. I don't trust you. So may God watch over you when I can't. If I can't keep my eye on you, let God do it. That's the promise. A promise that you're not going to come over, you're not going to cross this boundary. You're not going to come and, and cause trouble for me. The beauty is Jacob didn't need a covenant. God had already protected him. 
He didn't need a covenant agreement with Laban because God stood between Laban and himself. God had promised, I will be with you and I will keep you. We read that back in chapter 28, verse 15. And what's he doing right here in chapter 31? Providing that sovereign protection for Jacob, just as he had promised. God's been with Jacob throughout the whole ordeal. And for that matter, Jacob has been untouchable throughout the whole ordeal because God is fulfilling his promise. God has sovereignly blessed Jacob with his divine presence and protection. Let me make just two applications from this passage. The first is this. And we could make millions, but we don't have time for that. Human cunning and cleverness and determination cannot do what only God can do. You and I, through our human wisdom and determination, cannot do God's work, cannot do what only God can do. Did you notice in these passages, perhaps you've heard it said, God helps those who help themselves? Who does God help in these passages? Leah, the unloved wife, the alone wife, the oppressed wife, the one that Jacob didn't want. God comes to her and hears her in her humble, low estate. He hears Rachel in verse 22 of chapter 30. He remembers Rachel. Oh yeah, barren Rachel. The loved wife, but still barren, who's crying out to God, why am I still barren? Jacob, the deceiver, the cheater, you know, the one who lied to his dad's face and cheated his brother out of his birthright and his blessing, God protects him. He protects Jacob. And in so doing, he protects his own promise and his own plan. See, human wisdom says, Laban is the wiser businessman. I probably need to be buddy-buddy with him. And God says, the Gospel says, Christ Himself says that He's come for the lowly. Mary said it when she conceived and gave birth to Jesus. Humble, low Mary giving birth to the Savior of the world. Jesus said it in Luke 4, the very first sermon He preaches, that He came to heal the blind, the lame, the deaf, and the poor. Human craftiness, human determination, human wisdom cannot do what God's, what only God can do. And a second application. At the end of this, Jacob is a new man, or a newer man. He's not perfect yet. He's not sinless yet. The Jacob who left home was a lying, cheating, heel grabber that nobody would have liked. 
seeking his own way, seeking his own his own honor through his own wisdom and power. And here at the end of chapter 31, he's dealing honestly. His word is his word. He's being faithful and true even to Laban who has cheated him, who's been, who's been mistreating him all of this time. He's a man of character and honor now. Why? You know, if you're going to have a garden, the only way to actually have fruit bearing plants in this garden is to, to get your hands dirty and, and work in dirt and manure. Isn't that what God does to us? He sticks His hand in the, the, as one writer called it, the compost of our sin. That's the picture here. This is the picture of a, a sovereign God who has, who has stuck His hands, as it were, in the compost of human sin to do His will, to accomplish His purposes. Isn't that what Christ has done for us? We're, we're told in Romans 8, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, even if you're being cheated, even if you're being lied to. For those who are called according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that, we, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. Those whom He called, He also justified. Those whom He justified, He also glorified. And what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? God has sovereignly blessed Jacob with people, with possessions, and with his presence and protection. He offers that to you as well. He offers in Christ, he will never leave you nor forsake you. And all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your faithfulness to your word, to your promises to fulfill all that you have said you would fulfill, to accomplish all that you have said you would accomplish, that we can trust. If you say no one can snatch us out of your hand, then we can trust that no one, nothing can snatch us out of your hand. If you have promised to be with us, never to leave us, never to forsake us, we can trust that you will always be with us wherever, whenever, forever, just as you promised Jacob. We see it in Jacob. May we sense it in our own lives. Through Christ we pray. Amen.